Hello and welcome to my favorite podcast listeners, rookies and veterans alike. As you probably already know, this is the Global in the Granite State, a program of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. My name is Tim Horgan, and I am your host for this series, as well as the Executive Director of the Council. For those of you who are listening for the first time, we aim to provide our audience with key insights to issues driving the world today, as well as highlight personal experiences and talk about the importance of global understanding. We at the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire believe that global connections and understanding lead to a more peaceful and secure world for us all. Thank you to you all for listening to our programs, and we hope you find good value in our efforts. In addition, I would like to thank all of our wonderful members, donors, supporters, and sponsors. As a community-supported organization, we can only continue to bring our engaging programs through your generous support. If you would like more information on how to support our programs, please feel free to reach out to council at wacnh.org or visit our website at wacnh.org. A special thank you to our wonderful podcast supporter, McLean Middleton, for helping us to ensure these global conversations continue. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms with over 100 attorneys throughout offices in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. McLean Middleton's attorneys have been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Learn more at McLean.com. Affairs Council of New Hampshire, we believe that engaging with people from all over the world is an amazing opportunity that all Americans should have access to. This is why we try to have our international guests who visit through our exchange programs meet with as many people as possible while they are here in the state. The chance to exchange ideas, cultures, and bust myths is vital to building the relationships necessary to strengthen global understanding and connections. These short-term interactions, however, should only be a starting point and can lead to further connections and visits. While it is beneficial for our New Hampshire-based hosts to meet these people, it is only through international travel that transformational experiences can occur. Here, I don't mean going to an all-inclusive resort for a week where you never leave the comfort of your resort, although those trips are great for relaxing and getting away, but rather trips and experiences where you embed yourself into the community. This type of experience comes in a number of forms, including Peace Corps, volunteerism, gap years, and study abroad. Today we are going to focus on the power of study abroad with the understanding that not everyone can access these experiences, but the lessons ring true for other programs like Peace Corps that anyone can take advantage of. And my belief has always been that exchange can change the world. One person at a time, you know, one small footstep and footprint at a time, it can really change our viewpoints. 
That is Lisa McAdam Donegan, co-founder of Global Education Partners, a consultancy based in Boston, Massachusetts. Quick side note here, to be filed in the It's a Small World category, Lisa worked in the study abroad office at the University of Connecticut, including in 2006 when I did my own study abroad to Monterey, Mexico. We did not know each other then, but it was a unique connection that we quickly bonded over. Okay, back to the story. Now, not only can international exchanges change our viewpoints, it can change how we fundamentally view ourselves. I took some time to talk with Lisa and her business partner, David Christie, about their own experiences of international travel and the changes they see in students they have worked with across the years. First, let's dive a little into both of their backgrounds, which will highlight the different paths people can take to begin their global experiences and prove right off the bat that anyone at any age can get involved. So I come from a business background. I grew up in business. My family owned a 24-hour-a-day restaurant. So I was around business when the restaurant closed. Went on to work for major corporations like Frito-Lay, PepsiCo Incorporated, worked for Bank of America. While I was good at it, I just wasn't enjoying it. And I came home one day and they said, you know what? I wanted to go back to school. I liked history. I liked kids, students, and I felt the need to teach. I wanted to go back to school. I, I said, you know what? I wanted to be a secondary education teacher. So I went back to school and my goal was to be a, a history teacher in, in high school. And when I was doing that, I had an opportunity to go abroad to study abroad at Oxford for a short stint. I was like, Ugh, I'm a little bit older. I can't be doing that. Been all around the United States, but never out of the country. And when I did, I came back from that experience. It's just like, wow, what an, an adventure. What an experience. I came back. The school asked me to write an article for the school newspaper, asked me to do a couple presentations to help encourage other students to go. And me not, you know, being a non-traditional student, I did that. Next thing I knew, they were asking me to do, uh, offer me a part-time job in the study abroad office to help students. I said, okay, I could do that while I student teach. I thought it was a good opportunity. Uh, when I started doing that, uh, it was like, wow, I really enjoy this. This is fantastic. So I switched my master's from higher education to higher administration. Uh, and I always say this, I've been around the world since. Lisa, on the other hand, took a more traditional path to growing her global interest and perspectives. I originally got into international education through family background. Uh, my dad was in the military. We were stationed abroad. So I lived in Germany as a, as a young child. We moved around a lot. It was the army, so uh, different stations in, in various places. And when I went to university, I ended up being a French major. So I already had a ear for languages, had an interest in it, and then had the opportunity to go abroad while I was an undergraduate at the University of Connecticut. I knew just from my family relationships and having people in different areas of the world that we knew from our military background that these relationships were important as were understanding other countries and other languages. So for me, learning another language, learning a second language opened up kind of a whole new world. You know, both in Canada, I visited Montreal and Quebec City and, and was able to you know, interact with people when I was learning French. Then when I had the chance to be abroad for a year, for a whole academic year with the university, it really was a change from just being a visitor someplace to actually being a part of the culture, to being someone who was really involved in the politics, in the history, in the 
student life, in the personal life, and then meeting friends there who were French and also from other parts of the, the world, I realized that, you know, really language did open up a, a whole new way to connect with people and communicate. So I think that's really what I learned at that earlier time. I took that love and basically was trying to decide what to do for graduate school and ended up going back to UConn and getting involved with the study abroad office there. Since we are specifically looking at study abroad, I thought it would be good to talk about the numbers a bit first. So, on average, about 1 in 10 college students take the opportunity to study abroad during their college career. The majority of them head to Europe, followed by Latin America and Asia, rounding out the top three regions. Another interesting number to note is that about two-thirds of all study abroad participants are female which is slightly higher than the 60-40 split we see in terms of college enrollments of male to female. In addition, while the view that study abroad is only for the well-off, typically white students, there has been some slow movement towards engaging a more diverse set of college students in this life-changing experience. As of the most recent data from before the pandemic, about two-thirds of the students engaged in study abroad identify as white. We will dive into the why of this a little later in the episode, but before we lose your attention, I want to explore more about why these international experiences are so important. Getting out of your comfort zone, getting out of your normal everyday situation, I think is really helpful in building independence, in building humanity, in building a feeling of belonging, uh, in building vulnerability too in a lot of ways, but also in building some leadership skills and teaching people that they're stronger and more confident maybe than they knew. But it builds resilience too. For somebody to get out of their comfort zone does take some bravery, takes some intrepidness to go someplace, introduce yourself and know that you're probably you know, not speaking the language like a, a grown-up. We're all blessed here in the United States. We, we really are. When you get out and you travel, not only going to different countries and you really see how just how blessed we are but we kind of live with these blinders on you know we do we live in our in our own little world i come back from different countries and it humbles me when i come back home many times i think oh my goodness i'm complaining because it's going to be cold out or it's going to be snowing where i just came from and they're looking to see where they're going to be getting their next meal or or having a roof over the head or something else And, and i'm like oh my goodness it really grounds me for a while and then building upon, again, what Lisa said, too, is to have a greater understanding of what humanity is and what other people are living through and going through, and to know that we aren't just in our own little world with these blinders on, to have a greater capacity for other human beings, I think is is so important. And you're not going to get that until you get out into the world and to accept other people. And that could be just in your backyard for that matter, is to get out of your comfort zone. I can certainly attest to the power of getting out of your comfort zone, as when I did my study abroad, I found myself in many new and challenging situations. Started off the moment I arrived on campus and realized I had no clue where I was going, who I was supposed to meet with, and how I was going to survive the next five months. However, I quickly found a great community of welcoming students who were excited to meet me and eager to help. These people turned into my best friends throughout this experience and allowed me to understand the world in a wholly different way. 
making friends with people from Mexico, Germany, the Netherlands, Trinidad and Tobago, Switzerland, and even from other parts of the U.S., gave me the chance to explore diverse perspectives and learn about how other countries viewed my own. It is through this process of discovery, challenge, and relationship building that young people are truly able to explore who they are and what they can achieve. However, even beyond our own personal growth, study abroad can give you skills and experiences that are marketable in your career development. Lisa mentions, That's a really positive thing, but I think for students, we are truly in a global marketplace. And I don't know of really any job that doesn't have some aspect of international education or or a global footprint. You're interacting with people from either other states or regions or countries or hemispheres. So I think that having an experience to be working and living and studying in another country gives you the soft skills that many employers are looking at, uh, makes you more marketable, makes you independent, you're able to be creative and think outside of the box and have a level of cultural acquisition that other folks may not if they haven't lived in another country. Um, I think it's still one of the best ways to learn a language too, other than your native language. If you live and spend time in a country where another language is spoken and you're learning it, it's the best way to get your idiomatic expressions, some of your slang, some of your accent down. It's hard to get that sometimes in a class, even if it's Babel or or Rosetta Stone. It seems that almost everyone has a funny story about a miscommunication they had while in another country. I still remember one of my high school Spanish teachers talking about how he was on his study abroad and asked his house mother for some sopa while taking a shower. Taking this as a great teaching moment, she brought him up some soup, what he actually asked for, rather than the soap he thought he had asked for. A friend visiting me in Mexico used caliente instead of calor when trying to say he was hot, which elicited a very strange look from our cab driver. For those of you who may not know the difference, when used to describe a person, caliente does not refer to temperature but rather a feeling of sexual attraction. Lisa and Dave each have their own stories too. Well, I had one that stands out was actually during my time abroad. So a few years ago, and I was fortunate enough to live with a host family. So this is in France, in Rouen, outside of Paris, about 45 minutes. It was a you know, middle-class family, nice family, and they would have their older kids usually come over for family dinner on Sundays. I had a roommate there, another one of my American college mates was in the home with me. And this was probably in, I would say, the late fall. We had all been to a wedding with the family and things were great. I you know, had taken five years of French in high school and was feeling pretty confident in my French ability. You know, that had changed slightly when I got there, but I was still thinking, oh, yeah, I'm really good at this. So we were down at the family dinner table for our meal, and somebody had asked us a question about Tour de France, so a a tour of France. I was really enthralled because I was really interested in in the Tour de France bike race. And at that time, Bernardino was the leader, and I was kind of going on and on about this bike race and really thinking, wow, they're spellbound. My French is so good that they're mesmerized by my story. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I'm actually thinking in French and, you know, kind of going on and on and drinking a little red wine. And and then I realized my friend was looking at me across the table and kind of giving me the the high sign, like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And she just kept going, 
okay, slow it down. And I realized that they had actually been asking about whether or not we as students were going to do a tour of France, not the bike race, not the international competition. It was really just a question that they wanted, you know, probably not a very long answer on, but so they had no idea what I was talking about. They weren't really that interested in the Tour de France as a, as a sporting event. Before sharing Dave's experience, I just have to jump in with my own. As I was preparing to go on this amazing adventure, I needed to get my visa taken care of. So I headed to the Mexican consulate in Boston to take care of it, and somewhere along the way, I lose the pictures I needed. They very nicely instructed me to go down the hall, get new pictures, and come back. As I sat in the waiting room, I thought this would be a great time to test my Spanish comprehension skills, so I tried to listen to the conversations going on around me. I could barely make anything out, but figured there was just too much noise. I was then called into the room to get my pictures taken. I met a very nice and patient woman, whom I could not understand a single word coming out of her mouth. We get it figured out, and I get the pictures I need, but I leave feeling like I am never going to survive Mexico as I could not understand anything anyone was telling me. Fortunately, as I left the room, I happened to look at the door and noticed, for the first time, the Brazilian flag. A huge wave of relief came over me as I realized everyone in there was speaking Portuguese, and that is why I was unable to understand. When I arrived in Mexico, I did realize that I was able to communicate, even if most people thought I spoke the equivalent of first grade Spanish. However, when I left, many people commented on how fluent I had become. Dave has a great story of communication when you don't know the language. As we were walking down near this beach line, there was a couple of men sitting on a bench. And as we were walking by, I motioned to them. I said, I just saw these two old men looking out at the ocean. And I motioned like with my hands that I wanted to take their picture. So they understood that and they didn't mind. They kind of sat up a little bit and I got my camera out and I took their picture and they got a kick out of it. And we went to the site visit. And then on the way back, they were still sitting there and another older gentleman now is sitting with them. I said, oh my goodness, it's so cool. Now in Greece, they have what they call these worry beads. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with worry beads are. They're these beads on a string. And in Greece, they, they flip them and they hold them in their hands and they just walk around with them. And they have a way that they flip them and, and hold them in their hands. And I sat down on the bench and, and I said, ask them if it's okay. I want my picture taken with these old men. And the translator said, yeah. And they, they got a kick out of it. Here's this kid. And they went, not a kid, but here's this man. He wants to sit down with them. So they, they said, yeah. So they took my picture. And as I'm sitting there, the one gentleman, he, he has these worry beads and he hands them to me and he's teaching me, trying to show me how he flips them in his hand. And I'm trying and I'm trying after a couple minutes. I, I can't do it. I try and I try. I can't do it. So I go to hand them back to him. And he's like, no, no, no. He, he gives them back. And he starts talking to me and I don't understand what he's saying. I said, no, I can't do it. And give them back. So, I said to our trans, I said, I think he's given me his worry beads. Now you could tell these are worn. They're, they're like marble. They're, they're in his hand. And she, she says, oh, no, no, there is worry beads. You could tell he had them for years. I said, well, what's he saying? So she starts talking. Next thing you know, she's crying. I was like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? She goes, he wants you to have his worry beads. <gasps> I'm like, oh, no, I can't. He insisted that I have his worry beads. Now, I didn't speak his language. He didn't speak mine. But he was so moved that I took the time that I wanted a picture with them, that I sat down. We had this, this communication without ever speaking each other's language. 
that he gave me his worry beads. This experience has stuck with him, and he still has the worry beads today, which he plans to pass down to his own son, along with the picture and the story. So, the impact of this act of kindness will live in this world for a long time. So what about other students? What experience have they had, and what changes have Dave and Lisa seen over the years? I have one of the most amazing experiences with a student. I had a student come into my office. She was going to Japan. She was an Asian student herself, but she wasn't born there, but her parents were. And she came into my office, and she was very reserved, hardly made any eye contact. And she told me that she wanted to go. And you could feel being in the, in this position and dealing with students for all these years, I could just tell, oh, man, it, this student is going to have a difficult time. So as one of the questions I was like, oh, well, why do you want to go there? She said, well, she wanted to get out of her comfort zone. I said, well, that's one way of getting. You're really going, you know, you're going on the other side of the world. And she said that she gets homesick. She has a very hard time. She gets very homesick. And, okay, so well, well, where's home? Now, the school I was at, her home is in Boston, and the school where she was going to was like 20 miles away. I said, you get homesick? I said, home's right down the road. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, you want to go to Japan? I said, oh, my goodness. I had huge reservations. And she gets severe homesick. I said, you really got to – we have to talk about this. So this went on, uh, still preparing. I couldn't say no because – I had no really logical reason to say no, but I, I, I just had this feeling. So as we were preparing her to go and, and get her to go, she decided to go. What a difference. She had the most amazing, not only did she have an amazing experience, but the confidence that she gained by going abroad and coming back. And that's the one thing that we all, you know, Lisa and I see in any students when they go is the confidence that they gain by coming back. That they could, they feel, oh, I could go on a plane. I could travel anywhere I want now. I could do, I could actually do this. That was the one thing I, I never saw so much confidence. I see it in students, but in this one particular student who had this severe anxiety and the severe homesickness, and she overcame that so quickly by, by doing this was amazing, amazing transformation. Uh, I was really impressed and I was, I was happy for her. Lisa has a number of similar experiences, but one really stuck out for her. This one particular student who wanted to go to Russia was like what we call the baby elephant. He really latched on to our whole office staff because we were very kind in working with him. And it's like a baby elephant when it loses its mother. It really, they latch on to something that show them kindness because they crave that connection. And this student was very nervous and he really didn't speak a lot of Russian, but he was taking a Russian class as we had suggested that he do before he went. Um, it wasn't required in his program, but Another one that when we sent him off, we thought, okay, we'll hope he does well and and I expected to get a lot of emails. And I got a few emails the first few weeks and then, then it kind of stopped while he was there. So I sent a couple emails out to one of the partners and said, is Nick okay? And And they said, yeah, like he's like a rock star. He's really organizing the group. He's brought cohesion to everything. He's made all these new friends and he's in this club and that club because we had also recommended he get involved. And he ended up staying an extra semester, so two semesters in total. And when he came back, he was, he was like a different person. Since we now can see how transformative these international experiences can be, let's talk a little about how people can access them. As cost is the number one reason people cite for why they do not take advantage of these opportunities. 
first of all, I think there's so much more access to an international experience now than there has been at any other time. We're post-COVID right now, or sort of mid-COVID, I guess, depending on how you look at it. There are certainly virtual exchanges and there are virtual happenings where people can connect online with schools and organizations and internships even. There's also a lot of scholarship money and there's a lot of access to funding, which can be one of the most prohibiting factors for students studying abroad. There are schools out there that will find a way for you to be able to go abroad. And like Lisa said, it may not be a full semester, but there are opportunities out there for students to go. So if you're doing your due diligence, there are ways to go. Even for those that may not have the full funding that they think they're to go, there are ways that you can fund it. The biggest thing that Lisa and I would hear, and I can't tell you every single day we would hear this, is those students that would walk into our office in their junior year, or particularly in their senior year, can I go abroad? Can I go now? And when it's too late, and regretting the fact that they didn't do it. Because going abroad while you're in school is the greatest opportunity because your funding can go with you. All the funding opportunities that you have it goes with you while you go abroad, yeah. at least for from an aspect of, of uh, government loans and things like that. So it's much, much easier in that aspect than it, than it ever has been. I will link to some of these funding opportunities in the show description, as I do believe that time abroad is fundamental to creating a well-rounded global citizen. However, we know that enrollments in universities are declining, so fewer and fewer people have the opportunity to go and study abroad in college because they simply are not tied to a university. This, however, does not mean they cannot find ways to get an international experience. But I think the other aspect is that for students who don't choose to pursue higher ed in a traditional sense, so students Mm -hmm. who are going and getting practical training, uh, electricians, welders, you know, plumbers, the allied health professions, other areas, most of these areas, banking, finance, Most of these areas are working with businesses and certainly in some cases, very large multinational businesses that have offices in other countries. So understanding another language, understanding a culture will help potential employers get jobs, first of all, but also if they're willing to go and live and move overseas because their company would send them and fund them to go live over there, those opportunities abound. I was just speaking with a young relative who's in Switzerland with Merck Company. He's a scientist, but there's also welding positions for students that are doing welding programs. There's a shortage of welders. There's a shortage of electricians and manufacturing jobs all over the world so that students and high school students or people who are looking into these areas can certainly find potential internships potential work after they get employed because there might be people who who don't want to have that opportunity and may may not think of it as positive opportunity if somebody were to propose that they go abroad but i think having that chance is just a something that where at all possible our young people and our citizens should take advantage of that because i think it also helps you understand you know where you come from being abroad and being outside of your comfort zone helps you understand, you know, the equity that we do have in the U.S. In addition to internships and work abroad, there are programs like the Peace Corps, Teach English Abroad, cruise ship work, farm work, and many other opportunities for people to get abroad, meet others of different backgrounds, and make a living. Truly, the only limit is your imagination and desire to make this happen. In the end, 
we see, hear, and experience the benefits of international relationships, understanding, and connections each and every day at the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. And I'm sure you do as well, even if they are not directly in front of your face. Having the opportunity to explore different cultures, perspectives, backgrounds, and places gives you a unique insight into the world and helps you better understand and prepare for a global future. Whether you like it or not, the world impacts you and you avoid understanding it at your own risk. I want to thank everyone who is working diligently to help expand access to global experiences and to help ensure a better future for all. Thank you to Lisa and Dave for sharing your insights and providing so many students with the guidance to help them through these amazing opportunities. Thank you also to all of you for listening to today's episode. We do this monthly, so I hope you will continue to tune in and engage with the world. We also put out speakers programs in an online format, so even if you are unable to attend in person, we hope you will engage with us online. Find out more about ways to support our work these amazing conversations, and become a global leader at WACNH.org. This has been The Global in the Granite State, a production of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire, and sponsored by McLean Middleton. As always, Tim Horgan is the jack-of-all-trades for this program, running everything from production to recording to storyboarding, editing, and marketing. Our theme music is Admin by A.A. Alto, and our interlude music is Happy Travel, by Audio's Route. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back next month. <laughs>